clock we're going by. Every one of them says something different. So. <laughs> I guess it's time to go. Let's do that. All right. Good to see you out tonight. Looking forward to uh, always good to be in the house of the Lord. I love the middle week services. And uh, uh, I don't know about you. I just need a little shot in the arm, a little, a little, little help from God's word. And usually the middle of the week's a good time to get it. Uh, take your Bibles. Turn to two places tonight as we get ready for our Bible study. Uh, just a... Uh, Galatians chapter 6 is where we'll be most of the night, so get your place marked there, Galatians chapter 6. And then just for kicks, though, we're going to kick off one other spot over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. I want you to see that verse tonight and uh, and just talking about what I think is, uh, uh, well, not what I think, forget what I think, amen. What the Bible says, how about that? <laughs> what the Bible says, there are two of the... In my opinions, that this is what two of the things that every ministry that ever is done should be focused on, the two ministries that the Bible specifically speaks about. And we're going to really look at the, the ministry, what I call the ministry of restoration most of the night. But uh, just to kick us off, look, at, look there at, at your spot in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. The Bible tells us there, it says, uh, Now we are ambassadors uh, for Christ. As though God did beseech you that we pray, ye and Christ did be reconciled to God. And and <clears throat> one of the ministries I believe that He's given us. Look back at, at verse eighteen there. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us. Notice what it says: the ministry of what reconciliation. So when you look, think about ministries. You know, we, we have a million programs, right? We have a bunch. Every church seems to be adding more programs, adding more programs, at least pre-COVID and so forth. And, and you can do a lot of things under the guise of ministry. And, and uh, I'm all for all those things, don't get me wrong. But listen, at the end of the day, there's two ministries the Bible specifically speaks about to the New Testament church. And I think every ministry, every program, everything we do should be driven from these two formats, from these two perspectives. The first one is that, the ministry of reconciliation. So what is that? That's the fact there is a God in heaven who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins and to be buried and to raise again. And, and that we tell people that wonderful gospel message about how they can be saved and how they can be reconciled unto God through Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So the first, the ministry of reconciliation is this, just simply preaching the gospel, amen? Preach the gospel to every creature and, and, and tell folks they need to trust in Christ to be saved. But tonight, I want to look at the other ministry that the Bible specifically talks about in the New Testament church. And, and that's, what, that's the ministry of restoration. Let me ask you this. How many of you can think of someone? You don't need to raise your hand or shout a name out because I, I know we're all going to have somebody like this. But someone right now that once was on fire for God, that was living for God, was, I mean... I mean, when the church doors are open, they were here every time. When there was a ministry, a need, they were, they were getting it done. Maybe, maybe at one time they taught Sunday school. Maybe at one time they were a deacon. Maybe at one time they were a preacher even. Maybe they sang in the choir or drove a church bus. Or, or you know, just, just they were a children's church worker or, or uh, a ministry worker in the kids' club, whatever. Someone that uh, you were just thinking about here or even outside our church that you know at one time, boy, they seemed like they loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind. They were just on fire for God, and now they're MIA. And it has nothing to do with COVID. I understand some are that way because of the COVID, but I'm, I'm talking about now they've actually, if you kind of knew what they were into, not only MIA, but they've actually fallen 
into sin now. They backtracked. They they they've kind of gotten into maybe open even rebellion and 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 no longer serving the Lord. They don't have that that spark, that joy, that 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 the feeling of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the power of God on them they once had. And they've, they've kind of, we would call it this, uh, what would we call it in our Baptist churches? We would call them, they did what? They back what? They backslid. And and, uh, and a lot of people have trouble with that, ver- that word and say, yeah, you shouldn't use that word. But I can tell you, it's in the Bible, amen. <laughs> Proverbs 4, verse 14 says this, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And so, so we all know somebody, if we get real honest, right? that once was on fire for God and now isn't. By the way, that doesn't mean they're out of church necessarily. They might still be here in church. You can be in church and be just as backslid as if you're not in church, right? I mean, you can be here but not be here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And a lot of people sometimes are here and not here. No, we're dark. Let me turn some lights on here. Hey, man, I was wondering what's going on. Yeah. You got to make me look good on TV, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody on internet land say, turn those lights back off. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, but we all know somebody like that, right? That that was here, not here, that was on fire for God, and they were walking with the Lord, now they're not. And, and, and that is kind of the type of person that Paul's writing to the church of Galatians about in chapter 6. Someone who once was there, and then something happened. They tripped up. They messed up. Maybe they feel in sin. Maybe they... They they've just backslid. They they were once saved, but but they've gotten out. They've gotten uh, to to use a phrase from the old racing days. They've gotten jacked up, right? They've they've been overtaken in some way, bitterness, sin, rebellion, pride, whatever it is, and they need to be. And here's the key word: restored. They need to be restored. One of the ways things that happens is they go their own way. Read again that proverb. I think I gave it to you, but read with me in Proverbs fourteen fourteen again. The backslider heart shall be filled with his own what ways, his own ways. The Bible often speaks about our own way. Our own ways get what gets us in trouble. Can I get an amen on that? Right. Proverbs twelve fifteen says the fool is right in his own eyes. The Bible says, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And Proverbs twenty one verse two tells us every man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts and. In Proverbs 1, verse 30 tells us, They would uh, none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their devices. Of course, we all know it from Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own what? Way, the Bible tells us. And our own way gets us in trouble. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> How about your own way? My own way. Let me, I won't speak for you. How about I'll speak for me? My own way gets me in trouble. And, uh, and so many times I want to go my own way when, when we should be going the Lord's way. Well, that's what the ministry of restoration is all about. And Paul here under the inspiration of God is going to teach us our responsibilities as brothers and sisters in Christ to other brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone their own way instead of God's way. So tonight I want to look at probably a very familiar text to you, your, your midweek service crowd, but I want to look at this and, and talk about tonight and teach on what it is called, what I'm calling simply the ministry of restoration. Read with me verse 5, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1, Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1, the ministry of restoration. The Bible says here, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in one another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Father, for the next little bit, I pray that you'd help us as we uh, study the Word of God. First, to accurately and rightly divide the Word of Truth, and then... Then secondly, Lord, tonight to get some application, to, to take the, the, the admonition of Scripture, Lord, and apply it to our lives and, and those that we care about all around us, Lord, that uh, some of which have fallen into these traps. The truth is, if we all got real honest, there's times all of us are this person that's fallen away and that needs someone to come alongside us and help us and to restore us. And Lord, tonight it's for us. You're giving us a charge to be that person that will come alongside somebody and help them. The ministry of restoration, Lord, help us grab these concepts tonight and our responsibilities for our fallen or our, our brothers who have slipped. In Jesus' name, amen. The ministry of restoration. First thing I want you to see is, as we look at this verse is simply this, who's to do it? <laughs> who's to do it? Or if you're looking at my outline, I call it this, the ministers of restoration of restoration the ministers of restoration who is supposed to be the one who goes and does the restoring when somebody falls in sin somebody gets out of their way somebody goes their own way instead of god's way who's the one that's supposed to do the restoring i know right off the bat you're saying it's a pastor right <laughs> uh, it's always a pastor it was probably his fault they got out in first place. No, we'll leave that alone <laughs> uh, uh, somewhere down the lines, that's what the modern church has made. It's, it's, it's a pastor. They should visit. They should talk to them. They should witness to them. They should pray for them. They should be the one. But can I tell you, read the scriptures one more time. Verse number one. He says, brethren. Who's he talking about? Who's the brethren? We got some folks from up north. Who's the brethren up there? <laughs> that's you. That's me. That's the saved people. Amen. Uh, that's the, that's it's members of the local church. And he's saying, brethren, uh, it's given to every born again child of God in the local church. This call, this call we're going to talk about tonight. How many of you are saved tonight? You saved? Amen. Guess what? He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's saying, brethren, hey, uh, you, the ministry of restoration is your ministry. Brethren, if any man be taken, overtaken in a fault, he says. And so, listen, the pastor's responsibility, his job, ultimately, at the end of the day, his number one responsibility is given in Acts 6-4, but that we should give ourselves continually to prayer, the ministry of the word. That's their primary. And then, then their secondary job right after that is, is Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12. And you know, the, the Bible says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? The perfecting, the completion, the maturing is what that word means of the saints to do what? The work of the ministry. So, so, so laying all that on a pastor's feet, whoever your pastor is, is not, not a good idea because the Bible says, brethren, it's, this is your job. This is your job to go perform the ministry of restoration. And, uh, and so, so whose is it? It's, it's the brethren, right? They're the ministers of restoration. But let's go on. I want you to get the meaning of it, not just the who's the minister, but what is the meaning of it? What, what is this idea of this? Well, there's two words I want to define. Yeah, y'all know we're going to find some words, and that's probably not even correct. We'll define more on that before we're done. But two to start with. How about this? He says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a, what's that next word? In a fault. What's a fault when he says that? comes from a word that, that literally means when you read that word fault uh, it, it can mean two ideas 
I want you to get both tonight. It can mean a slip, a lapse, an unintentional error. Anybody ever made an unintentional error? Yeah. <laughs> and unintentional means I, I didn't really mean to do this. I didn't set out with a mindset to, to mess up, to so forth. And uh, Miss Teresa, she, she's joking on a thing I posted today online. She goes, uh, about falling down. I said, you know, you can fall down as many times as you fall down. As long as you get up one more time you fall down, you can go on, right? <laughs> and she said, that's me. I always fall down and, and, and so forth. And so you don't ever intend to slip and fall down, do you? No, you know, we don't do that. And, uh, uh, but, but you know what? So, so a fault could be that. Something you just messed up, slipped up, fell into, weren't, weren't intending to, had a momentary lapse. But it can also mean, it's also the same word is used to mean a willful transgression or sin. And so he's applying, you could say, well, which one do you mean? I think both. If they messed up, slipped up, whether it was intentional or not, or if they're intentionally kind of shaking their fist at God, I want to do my own way. Either way, our job as, as brothers and sisters in Christ is to go help them and restore them. So many times we, when the second one happens, well, they deserve it. We'll do things like that. Right? No, well, maybe maybe there are consequences to our sins, right? We understand that. But it's still, whether they deserve it or not, whether they intentionally did it or not, the change, the call doesn't change. We're to go restore them. So the word fault there, whether it's uh, unintentional, a slip, or a rebellious sin, either way, the call remains the same. We're to restore them. So what is this word, restoration? He says, Brother, if any man be in a fault, or be taken, overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one restore such a one what's that word restore mean i, I want to give you some word pictures tonight of what that word means it's pretty interesting if you study it out uh it comes from the the greek word cartizo and here's what it means it means to repair thoroughly to make sound to mend something to its previous useful state i like that definition to, to restore something to, to mend something to fix something back to its previously useful state so uh you know, if you had a you had something break, you fix it so it can be used again. That makes sense, right? And so that's the idea of this. It was used in, back in their day in two primary ways. Number one, it was used as a fishing term. How many of you like to fish? Somebody say, "Amen on fishing." Get this winter out of here, and we're getting on the lake. And we're going fishing, and that's the plan anyway. And so, uh, but it was used for a fisherman's net. That was one of the primary uses of it. He said, "For a fisherman's net, yeah, the, they the, this is we didn't they didn't use fishing rods and all the fancy lures and and uh, reels back then. They threw the net out, and then they pull that net in and catch their fish, and and the net would inevitably over time get tears in it. Now, if you have a hole in your net and you're fishing, that probably doesn't work out too good, right? Because that fish, guess what? They're gonna find that hole. They're getting out and so forth. So, so one of the things they'd have to do when they get tore or get a hole in it is they they would have to mend that net. They would they would literally restore the net. They would uh, uh, to use the word here. They would carter uh, so whatever you say it, restore the net, and they would mend that net back to the state it was like before it broke in the first place. Again, restore it back to its original state of usefulness so that's one idea of the word it was also used this way it was used not only as a fishing term but it was commonly used in their day as a medical term a medical term how many of you broke some bones anybody ever broke a bone and uh, I, I got a few of them and uh, and it literally was used to to mend a broken bone what do you do when you break a bone you go see a doctor right 
and uh, and they set that bone, right? And hopefully, they're, if they're a nice doctor, they give you some pain medicine before they do it. If they're not a nice doctor, they find out how tough you are, whichever one uh, comes first. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about football, and I was thinking about all the all the injuries I've seen through the years in football. And uh, You ever seen somebody break a bone on the field in football? Uh, Joe Theismann, anybody seen that video? <laughs> that was about as... Go to YouTube and watch that. If you have a weak stomach, don't scratch what I just said. Don't do that. But, uh, boy, I mean, his leg, his broken leg was, ugh. He never played another time after that broken leg. And so whether it's a arm or a leg or a hand, whatever it is, and, uh, you know, you watch the replay over and over if you see it happen on TV and it makes you squirm every single time. And, and think about what happens the moment you break a bone out there immediately those, those trainers rush in right from the sidelines they run out on the field and they begin they, they see how bad it is they start to examine it and look at the damage done what's the next thing they do they take you to the hospital right uh then they they put you in that little machine and they they radiate you and fry you i mean uh, they, they take an x-ray and uh, they put you in there and, and they, they try to determine how much damage is done confirm it's broken and where is it broken and how it's broken then then again if you're lucky they give you some kind of pain maybe you go see an orthopedic whatever either way eventually that old broken bone pretty quickly normally gets set back in place and uh, i remember playing baseball of all things, uh, I was uh, on to first, and I was on first base, and I was playing off, getting my lead. I usually got about six inch lead off the ball, off the bag because I was too slow to get back. But anyway, but I had my lead, and and that pitcher looked over there and said, "Look at that big old fat boy! I'm going to pick him off." <laughs> and so here he comes, here comes the throw, and I dive back into the bag like a dummy. You're supposed to dive back like this. I dove back with my fingers out. My back, and then my finger hit the bag, literally broke, and was crossed these two fingers. So that finger was going across those two fingers, and uh, and I didn't want to tell anybody because I wanted to finish the game, and I didn't tell anybody. Oh my goodness, it hurt. I can't, I can't remember later. I, I, it has nothing to do the story, but I want to tell you. This is kind of funny. I was I was a big hitter. That was that's the only reason I played. I can't run a lick, so never have, never whatever. So they hid me out in right field because they just wanted me to hit. That's all they want me to do is hit the ball because I could, I could kill the ball hitting-wise. And so later we come up, and the, you know, I came up to bat later. I can't even grip the bat with this hand. I mean, that finger is still across there, and it's just killing me, and I didn't want the coach to know, and I'm hiding that thing. And and, uh, and he's down there giving me the signals, and I think we had somebody on second or something. And They never make me bunt. They make everybody else bunt, but I don't bunt because I'm a big hitter, and plus – I've never bunted in my life. <laughs> I don't even know how to bunt. But uh, but he's up there and he's giving me the signal and you can kind of do these little things like no. And he looked at me and he's giving me the signal. He's doing a hit and run is what he's doing. And so my job is no matter where the pitch is, put the bat on it because the guys will take off running. And I'm like, I can't. I'm thinking, my, I can't swing this bat. I don't know what I'm, why, why I'm even up here at the time. And so I started giving him a signal for bunt. And... Uh, and the coach looking at me, and he just, well, that'll work. He's just trying to get that guy to third. If you want to bunt, we'll bunt, okay. And uh, so so I bunted, laid down the most beautiful bunt ever. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. actually. And I actually made it to first. They didn't get me out or that guy out. We advanced the run. It was, it was like it's supposed to be. Coach came in. I said, I can't believe you bunt like that. You never even bunt in practice. And it was luck. That's all it was. But anyway, but I couldn't swing that bat for nothing. I mean, it hurt that bad. And. A little later, 
the, the coach saw it. I can't remember if the game was completely over or it was near the end. And he saw it. And he was, the, I grew up in the country, all right? So this was a, this old country coach. And he was one of them, I can fix that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Give me that finger. He took my finger. He said it. Actually made it feel better immediately. It didn't fix it. Still broke, but it's now where it's supposed to be. I ended up going to the doctor, of course, getting the splint and all that stuff. But, but you know what? He said it back. That's the idea. He restored it. And then later, as it healed, it was brought back to its state of original usefulness. Guess what? I can bend it now. I can do things with it. It's been restored. And so when you see this word restore, here's the idea. The idea is, is, is simply this. It, it is someone who has had something happen where they've been overtaken. Something's changed. They're, they're off course. Something's broken in their spiritual walk. And, and we go alongside them and we mend their net. We go alongside them. We, we set the bone. We go alongside them. We help restore them with the idea of bringing them back to their original state of usefulness for the glory of God. And that's the calling that we're to have. And that's what he's telling us here. He said, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Now, I want you to understand that we've looked now what restoration is, and I've given you the word pictures there, but I want to make sure we understand what it's not too. Because uh, sometimes we, <laughs> what I found in the, in the, in just about every church I've ever been in is, we got the wrong idea of what restoration is. Can I tell you what restoration is not? It is not kicking somebody when they're down. Can I get an amen? We get this thing, well, they need some tough love. That might work with your kids, but I'm telling you, when it comes to restoring someone spiritually, we need folks not to kick them when they're down. Too often, uh, we, that's, what, that's what they do. As somebody's going through a tough time, and we talk about them, we, we basically kick them while they're down. You know what you get when you kick stuff, right? How many of you heard the old saying, uh, you ever had somebody go, huh, all the time? Anybody ever heard somebody go, huh? You know how you get, huh? You know where it comes from? That's what you get when you kick a pig in the rear. <laughs> huh? That was free. But anyway, <laughs> huh? <laughs> That's the way sometimes we treat well, when folks are down, we just go around, like, kick them. And listen, that's not restoration. Uh, how about restoration this? It, it's not shooting our wounded, right? It's not shooting our wounded. Another thing we're guilty of, listen, I, can you imagine somebody in a football game out there, they break a, a bone or something, and if, if, it was the, if it was like most churches today, somebody would run out there and just put them out of their misery. You know what? They could heal from this and come back and help the team again sometimes. But no, the, the Christian army is the only one I know that actually shoots their wounded. Uh, how about this? It's also not this. Uh, my screen's moving all around on me. Y'all hold on a minute. Uh, it's not shooting our wounded. It's also not giving them a lecture. How many of us are guilty about that? Restoration isn't about, let me go lecture you and tell you how wrong you are and all that stuff. Now, we've got to confront them lovingly, certainly, but, but it, that's, a, that's a bad approach. Imagine somebody laying on the field, now that you've got the word picture, in pain with a broken leg, and you just go out there, I told you to watch out for them. I told you, you know, if it was football, I told you that defensive end was going to crush you. It's your fault you're broke. You know, it, it's silly to think about when you put the word picture. I told you not to put any fish in that net, that it would tear, right? 
And so the idea here is, listen, you should have known better and whatever we want to say, and we want to, we want to kind of lecture them and so forth. And certainly the third or fourth thing I wrote there, it's certainly not amputation either, right? We don't go out there, well, that's no use anymore. It's just cut it off. Your arm's broke, cut it off. Your finger's broke, cut it off. It's no use anymore. But listen, sometimes we're really guilty. Let's get real honest for just a moment. This is the tough part, right? Sometimes as brothers and sisters in Christ, he said we wouldn't literally do that. Oh, but we do it, don't we? We cut them off. We kick them while they're down. We shoot our own wounded so many times. The Bible never told us to do that. They said go restore them. Go help bring them back to the original state of usefulness for the glory of God. And uh, there are times maybe amputations need it, and that's if you're going to protect the rest of the body, gangrene setting in or something like that. But I want to tell you what, uh, that's not usually the case in these things. Let me tell you, if the arm heals, guess what? They may get back in the game. The arm heals, they may be a useful part of the team again. And and uh, and so the Bible's teaching us here, listen, we got to help them, not shoot them, not criticize them, not amputate, re- not remove them, but restore them, mend them, fix the net, set the bone, bring them back to a state of usefulness. So the ministers of restoration, who is it? It's us, right? Us. The ministry of restoration. What is it? restoring or the meaning of restoration? Restoring. Now, the manner of it, how do we do it? Look what it goes on to say, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are, what's the next one? Spiritual, right? Does that mean you got your suit and tie on every week? Is that what that means? Ye which are spiritual? No. You are you are in fellowship with the Lord. You that are walking with the Lord. Uh, by the way, men, ladies, we all can walk with the Lord, right? You're as close to God as you want to be. Isn't that cool to know? So if you're not in your Bible, can I just encourage you on something? If you haven't been in your Bible, you haven't been praying, you're not the one to go do it. All right? You can't do this without the Spirit of God and being filled with the Spirit. Or you're going to do it out of the flesh and you're going to mess some mess up. But if you've been in, if you're communing with God, you're as as well as you can. You're you've been in your Bible and and you've been praying. Then boy, this this is all about you. You're you're the one that's spiritual. This is your calling. Go do that very thing. Go go help them and so forth. And uh, uh, so so think about this. The, the man of restoration. We're going to restore them and we're going to do it. Think about how we're going to do it here. He's going to tell us. He's going to tell us we're going to do it first of all gently. We're going to restore them gently. He says, restore them in such a one in the spirit of, what's that next word? Meekness. Now, I'll go quick through this because we just hit this word in Sunday school the other week. But the word meekness is a, is a word. It's hard, one of the hardest words in all the Greek language to define. And so they translate it the best they can. There's no English word that encapsulates the entire word. It's usually translated like gentleness. That's a good, it's a good translation, but, but it doesn't cover everything that it does. And, and, uh, and the use of the, the word originally was a word that, that had the idea of, literally, I'm going to gross some of you out, using saliva as a lubricant. That's what the original word meant. So think about what you do. Uh, the best illustration I can give you in our day and age, back to sports, sorry about that, but how, how many of you watch baseball ever? What's the guys do in baseball? Before they get on it, I mean, they spit on everything, don't they? I mean, they spit on their shoes, they spit on the ball, they spit, but they spit on their hands, right? And then they get the, get the bat in their hands, right? And they get ready. Why do they spit in their hands? 
it, it, it kind of lubricates it, right? So the bat doesn't stick in their hands, and it, it reduces friction is the idea. And so, so when you're, you're thinking about this word, it, this word, uh, uh, it, it's gentleness, yes, but it's gentleness in the sense of it, the ability to reduce friction and so forth. And I like to look at it this way. This is just a micism. You can take it for what it's worth. I call meekness the WD-40 of the Christian life, right? It should lubricate. It should, it, it should literally uh, reduce friction in a way. So if we're going to go de- deal with somebody who's been overtaken in a fault, who's, whether it was an accidental slip or whether they're in a sin that they chose to be in, we're still to go restore them. The Bible made that clear. It's our individual responsibilities as believers. The Bible's made that clear. Here's the attitude we go with. We go with the attitude of meekness, gentleness, with an attitude in a way that goes into that situation, not to, not to yell them, not to beat them, not to bash them, not to kick them, but to reduce the friction so they can be restored. We do it with that, that spirit is that he's telling us to go with. And uh, yeah, I, I told you earlier about the, uh, my coach and what he did. You know, Give me that finger, boy, I'll fix it, right? That was probably not the right approach. <laughs> there wasn't much reduced because that hurt. Like, like I'll, I'll get out. But see, we can to put it in maybe common terms. Here's the way: we go with tender, loving care. Maybe that's a good way to look at it. That's the attitude we go with, and we go with that brother. That's what they need, and we store them in a spirit of meekness. So we, we restore them gently. That's the way I at least worded it for our outline, and then we restore them humbly as well. Because he goes on verse one. Look what he says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Then he says this, considering thyself, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Considering thyself. That word consider means to take heed to, to, to contemplate, to regard. You're, you're going you're gonna to think about yourself a little bit. In other words, it's a warning. He's saying, watch out now, watch out now. Because, by the way, that same sin that tripped them up could trip you up. All right? The same thing that happened to them could happen to you. It's not even a warning. It's a real possibility is what he's, what he's kind of saying. So, so I think what he's trying to teach us here is don't go all puffed up like you're better than them. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, that could be you. Right? Don't, don't go because somebody's in a bad situation, been going through it all. Well, they deserve, they went, they must have. That could be you. And all it would take is, one person to make a bad decision so forth and so if it wasn't for the grace of god remember that that's the kind of attitude you go with you say listen consider thyself when you go listen remember it could happen to you and you say no that can never happen to me i'd never get caught up in this sin or that sin that would never be my situation you know what peter said think about what peter said jesus i'll never deny you right how long did it take him (laughs) Before the day was over, he's denying him how many times? Three times. Y'all get a three. One, two, three. There we go. We got three up and denying him thrice. And in fact, here's how Peter said it, Matthew 26, verse 35. And he said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. It'll never happen to me, is what he's saying. That's the attitude sometimes Christians go in. And uh, when somebody else is down, and I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they fell into that. And we got to go. Here's what he's warning you. He said, "Listen, you need to go. You need to consider thyself too. You could, you could be in the same sin. Uh, that could never happen in my life. That could never happen to my children. That could never happen in my marriage. Bob, whatever you want to say. Listen, be careful. You could be the next one. 
The Bible tells us pride goeth before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. We need to help people. We need to lift people up, and we need to realize when we go with that right attitude uh, that this could have happened to us too. And when you do that, by the way, one of the good things that will happen is you'll go in there with some empathy. When you realize this, yeah, this is what's happening to you, and it's terrible, but this could have well been me. Instead of looking down our our little spiritual proud noses at them, saying that could be me, that could be my son, that could be my you know you fill in the blank whatever the situation is, that could be us, and it could be by the way. And so Paul's telling us here. He said, "Listen, when you go, you, you you need to go first and foremost gently. You need to you need to go in with a spirit of meekness, and then you need to go in humbly too. And you need to consider thyself because this could have happened to you." And uh, I heard someone say, I, I probably put it in your notes there, I can't remember, but I like this. Uh, someone I read one time said this. He said, there's three people sitting in your seat today. Three people. Number one is the person you are, right? Whoever that is. Number two is the person you could be for God. If you really worked on our walk and really allowed God to radically change our life. Number three is the person you could be for the devil. And you know how quick we can go either way? By the way, you could actually live one day this way and the next day that way, couldn't you? One moment here, one bad decision away from being here. And uh, all of us are capable of that. We, all of us have the potential to sin. All of us have the potential to do wrong and to do evil. And and uh, all of us have those things that are built in. So you say, that couldn't happen to me. Let me just tell you. One of the biggest difference many times, I gave you a couple truths there. I want you to see. One of the biggest differences is here, here's what I call sin. I like this definition. Of course, the definition would be anything we think, say, or do. That's what we tell kids, right? Anything I think, see, or do, or think, uh, say, or do that would displease God. That's a good definition of sin. Uh, but, but, but beyond that, I think sin is a, this is the truth I gave you. Sin is a is a built-in weakness that has an opportunity. A built-in weakness plus an opportunity. Think about that. A lot of people aren't falling into sin because they're super spiritual. Sometimes it's just because they haven't fallen in sin because the right opportunity had to come. Every one of us have a weakness. Some of us many. <laughs> and I tell you, when you, you take that weakness and it matches along with opportunity, you and I are capable of doing anything that anybody else in this world is capable of doing. And so he's telling us we got to approach it that way. When we go, we got to remember this could be us. And maybe maybe we just didn't have the opportunity they had uh, to go along with our weakness. And when you go with that attitude, we're going with the right attitude. We're considering ourselves lest we would be tempted. So when we go, we restore. Here's the way we go. The manner we go with, restore them gently, restore them humbly. Lastly, I wrote this down, restore them sympathetically. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, let's, let's do a little Sunday school for a minute. Go down and read verse 5 now. Verse 2 tells us, <laughs> Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Then verse 5 tells us, For every man shall bear his own burden. I love the skeptics of the Bible out there. The Bible just contradicted itself. It said we're supposed to bear their burdens. And then it said they're supposed to bear their own burdens. Which is it? Right? Now, if you read it on the surface, that's maybe what you, it seems contradictory. And, and uh, 
You say, which one's true? Both are. Amen. <laughs> and how many times have I taught you? When Scripture seems to contradict Scripture, it's time to study a little bit more. Because Scripture never contradicts Scripture. And uh, if it did, then we just close the book, go home, because we got nothing to stand on. And, and so, so it means we just got to dig in just a little bit further. And when you look this up, and I, people always give me a hard time, yeah, we can the Greek, and we don't need the Greek. Well, that's why you don't know much about Scripture. Can I get an amen? <laughs> now, I'm not saying you got to have Greek to understand your Bible. I'm saying there's times like this, you better go to it, or you're going to get that all confused. Because it says, bear your own burdens, Somebody else bear your burdens. How would you trust the Bible told you that? Yeah. So you better dig in a little bit and figure out what it means. And so verse 2, guess what? The word burden in English used in verse 2 and verse 5 comes from completely different Greek words. Great translations. Um, there's nothing wrong with the translation here. But when we go back and get a concordance out, we can find out it's a little different definition. Back in verse 2, when he says this, he says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. comes to the word bearers. It means an oppressive weight, a heaviness about them, uh, a burden, a trouble. Weight, maybe to think about this way, a weight that's crushing someone else. If you see a brother or sister that's, that's fallen and got out and that weight is crushing them and it's weighing them down, our responsibility as brethren is to go help restore them. Then you get to verse 5, and, and the word there comes from a completely different word. It's the word uh, uh, fortune, however you say that. And it, it's our task. It's a, a service load of responsibility. And so that's the responsibility to the ones who are, uh, that, uh, to the one that has the burden in itself. So think about this. In verse 2, we're to help them learn how to remove the weight that's crushing them. In verse 5, it's their responsibility to put into practice the service that they've learned. It's, it's hit it where the rubber meets the road. So we're to go help them and, and instruct them and give them the tools from the Word of God on how to how and as a brother or sister in Christ to, on how to how to remove that burden, how to help load carry that load. But it is up to them to apply it and use it. All right. So what are we saying? How many times you try to help somebody that didn't want help? Are you with me now? It's our responsibility to try to help them. That's what it's saying. But their responsibility is they've got to receive the help, apply it to their lives. I can't tell you how many times folks have come through the years, and not that I'm end all be all, but I do my counseling from the Bible, that, so i got an authority to do it from, right? And I give them from the Bible. Here's, here's how you need to approach this. Because the Bible says so. Not because I say so, because the Bible says so. And they get it all, they understand, make sure they understand what we're saying. They get it all and they leave, and guess what? They never apply it. Then they say, that didn't help me a bit, all right? It won't help you a bit if you don't apply it. We did our part, came alongside, tried to help them bear their burden. They got a part too, is what the Bible's teaching us. Hey, they got to apply it, they got to bear, do their side of the bearing, we do our side of the bearing. And so, in other words, if... If you've been offered and given some help, it's now your responsibility to use the help you've been given and decide to make the change. Only you can decide to make the change, right? Only that person can. And so we're called to help bear one another's burdens. We're, but there's some things only the one that's in the, only the one that's, that's fallen can do. For example, let me give you an example. Nobody can repent for you. Y'all realize that. I know there's groups out there you can go talk to a dude in a phone booth and somehow he can repent. No, it doesn't like that. 
Hey, you have to repent for yourself. You have to confess for yourself. It's between you and God, and you need to get that right. You need to agree with God that you're a sinner. You need to change your mind. That's repentance. You need to confess. That means agree with God. Take God's side against yourself and say, God, I have messed up. This is a sin, and and I admit that. Only you can do that. The preacher can't do it. The Pope can't do it. Nobody can do it for you. Only you can do it. No brother can come alongside you and do that. So, so you got a responsibility is what I'm saying. By the way, nobody else can serve God for you. Y'all know that? I can serve God for me, but nobody can do it for you. And so you got responsibilities in this thing. Nobody can get saved for you, by the way. You're the one that has to believe. You're the one that has to put your full confidence in Christ. And the fact that he died and was buried and rose again for you. And he shed his blood for you. Only you can do that. Nobody else can do it for you. You, you, you can't get baptized for somebody who's gone on and died. I know there's places out there that teach that too. And listen, only you can make that decision. And nobody else can make any kind of spiritual decisions for you. Do you know that? you got your own mind. It goes back to the free will we've been talking about. Uh, nobody can do it for you. You have to make your own call. Nobody can decide no and say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit in your life and in your leading except you. There are some things you only you can do. A, a brother can come alongside you, and we're supposed to come with the, the spirit of trying to restore them and bring them back to a state of use, the original state of usefulness for the glory of God. And we, that's our job, and we can, we can help them, and we can come alongside. But you got to make your own decision, the one that's fallen, to be, want to be restored. And so, so one of the ways, by the way, that you can know that you're a child of God is if you receive that. Amen. And, uh, Thank God he chastens every child he loves, by the way. When I mess up, I'm glad he, he tells me that. And Because uh, there's a lot of times these people we call backslidden aren't really backslidden because they've never been forward slidden in the first place. <laughs> they've never been saved. And so that's why you always go to the gospel, right? Uh, and so so thank God for all those wonderful promises. And so the minister, the ministers of restoration. Who is it? It's us, right? The brethren. The meaning of restoration, it means to restore again to the place of original usefulness for the glory of God. The manner we do it with, and when we go alongside, we restore them gently and humbly and sympathetically. And now, finally, let's look together at the motive of it, at the motive of it. What is our ultimate motive of restoration? Look at me, I can, I can help everybody through every problem. No, we've got to be careful of that too. I won't go into grave detail on this, but... Uh, there, there is some folks who get addicted to helping people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I, I'll get the word here in a minute. I can't get, come up with it. There's a whole book, little book written about it. Miss Lily's back there. What, what's that little book Ben Burks wrote? I'm putting you on the spot. You remember that? Codependency. Thank you. All right. I appreciate you helping me. <laughs> what a great book, by the way. There are some people that get codependent that they, they, the only worth they get is by having somebody else have to be dependent on them. That's a whole other deep concept. But anyway, uh, that, that, that's not what it's referring to. The motive isn't so uh, you can be kind of their God, because that's what you're kind of being, right? The motive is get them on their own feet. So they, they can learn to serve the Lord themselves, and they can learn to please the Lord themselves. But ultimately, the motive is this. It is, as we'll see, it is to fulfill the law of Christ. Read with me, verse 2. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what's our motives? It's to fulfill the law of Christ. You say, what is the law of Christ? I'm glad you asked. 
Turn with me back to Galatians 5. And who, what's the best interpreter of Scripture? It is what? Scripture. All right. Y'all are getting good. Uh, so let's look back and see what the Scripture says the law of Christ is. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible tells us there, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this. Are you ready? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So what's the, what's the law of Christ here? It, it is simply this. Love thy neighbor as thyself. It's love. We do it in a, well, the reason we do it is, is the, the motive behind it is the love of Christ. Now, the law of Moses had ten commandments plus all the other uh, uh, non-moral commandments that, that they had there, but the law of Christ really has one. L-O-V-E. It's love. It's love. So what's the motive for mending a broken brother or sister? The motive to help and restore them back to a place of usefulness for the glory of God? It's love. That's it. That's that's it. Uh, they're just a broken bone that needs to be mended. They're just a torn net that needs to be fixed. And we're to come alongside them. We're to help restore them back to that original place of usefulness. Or even better, could I say that? Do you know sometimes you can restore something better? Uh, I've taken a few things to Marty McMillan uh, that need it welded. And I'm going to tell you what, I think when it came out, it was stronger than when it went in. By the time he got done putting that weld on it, that thing was better than original, stronger than original. By the way, sometimes when you restore a brother or sister that's fallen, they'll come back stronger than they were originally. How about you? I know there's some stuff I've been through in life that didn't please the Lord. I grew from it. I learned from it. And I came back a better Christian on the other side. Uh, because of some of those storms I went through and then he taught me through and so so the ministry of restoration restoring them back to their original place of usefulness or better ultimately for the glory of God so who's to be the ministers we are uh, what, what's a, what's the other one I used uh, the what's the meaning of it again restore them back to a place of uh, of usefulness uh, we learned what it's not. What's the manner? We, boy, we do it gently. We do it humbly. We do it sympathetically. And then finally, what's the motive? It's love. It's love. It's love. It's to fill the, the law of Christ because they are our brother. They are our sister in Christ. And God loves them. Jesus loves them. And we should love what he loves. And he wants them restored. And he commanded us to go do it. That's the ministry of restoration. And by the way, he's given it to every one of us. So when you see that brother or sister that's slipped up, whichever way it was, maybe it was accidental, maybe it was just a slip, maybe it was them just willfully choosing it. It really doesn't matter either way. It's you and I that are called to go restore them. Let's be people who practice the ministry of restoration. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight, Lord, in the Word of God. Thank you for just, Lord, how it covers every topic. And Lord, if we have time and I'm dedicating my life to spending time Lord not only to study but to to preach everything I can from it and teach everything I can from it but Lord if we just read it and we study it it'll cover every single area in our lives we can put these principles into practice and Lord help this church help our church and help everybody's listening Lord no matter where they are if they're born again, if they've had a day where they repented, if they've had a day where they changed their mind and put their trust and their confidence in the fact that you died in their place, paid for their sin debt, 
Lord, when you went to that cross. And, and we're bearing rose again, Lord, and you're, you're victorious over death, hell, the grave, and sin, Lord. And if we trust in you, Lord, we can receive your righteousness and you'll take our sin from us. Lord, what a wonderful, glorious promise, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they've had that day, Lord, then they also are called to this ministry, the ministry of restoration. Help us be about your business, and this is your business. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Just one minute, we'll have... Push it twice, probably. Once, and then it says one more time for stopping.